0: Praise the Lord. We're going to talk more today about Jesus being the center of it all, of everything. Amen? Before we, we're going to read the scripture in just a second, but uh, just a couple things. Next week, Pastor E will be back, and Yvette and the family. Amen? So we're looking forward to that, and uh, we've got... uh, A text from him this week and it sounds like I don't know if it was a text or an email but he is rested and ready to go so um, the Lord has reinvigorated him and and Yvette and they're ready to run and do what God is calling us to do so amen for me and others that work here we're scared uh, (laughs) because we know what that means when pastor's all he's ready to run so we want to run with Jesus and run for Jesus amen um, he's the center of it all. Let's, let's read from the scripture today together if we stand up. And we're going to read from Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses 1, verses 15 through 21. So uh, you can read it right up there or in your Bible. It's from the ESV. So we'll read it together. Let's read. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for your word. We pray that in the coming minutes that you will quicken our ears to hear your word, Lord God. If, if you need to dig something out of our ears right now, we ask you to do that. Help us, Lord God, to pay attention to what you are saying to us, even through a broken vessel like myself, Lord, you are not restricted to my brokenness. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would richly bless your people in the coming moments. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. I want to read something for you, uh, and this is something written by a great theologian and teacher, uh, D.A. Carson. And let me just read this to you, and we'll talk about it a little bit. He says, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I really learn to hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want... Uh, So much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races especially if they smell, I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. Amen. Three dollars worth of gospel. It's a little bit of gospel. I told this story in the last uh, service, but uh, Minister Watson Jones III, wherever he is, uh, I see his wife over here, he thinks he has something over my head uh, because my wife told him uh, a secret from my past that will undermine my work at the church. (laughs) And that is this. Some years ago, in a moment of weakness, I bought a tie from a bin at the ShopRite. (laughs) Grocery store, for those of you who don't know what ShopRite is. That is not the tie that I'm wearing right now, just (laughs) FYI. I bought a, a tie from the bin at the ShopRite because, in my estimation, It looked nice, and it didn't cost me too much. Now, this tie, it had colors. It did. Actual, real colors. It was made from actual material. It was. Um, And I would wear it and want you to think that this this is this wonderful tie that I bought from the bin at ShopRite. But if you know anything about quality clothing, you would know better than to say, did you get that at today's man? You would know that it probably wasn't of the highest quality. It was a tie that I bought. I got it, honestly, my parents would buy us shoes from the bin at the discount store when we were kids. They were called Beta Bullets. They could have been called beta bobos. They were just these cheap little sneakers. But, you know, I've made it through life relatively unscarred by that. Um, but but the, the reality is that, uh, you know, with ties and with sneakers, we can get around with bobos and cheap ties Uh, But very often, as believers, when we're looking uh, to how to live this Christian life, we are shopping at the dollar store. We are looking in the discount bins. I want something that I can put on and people can say, is that a new tie? That looks nice. When I take it off, it may be shredded to pieces because it's made of inferior material and it won't hold up at all over time, but it looks nice for a minute. And so very often, as we live this Christian life, we are shopping in the discount bins and the dollar stores to find a gospel that is comfortable, that looks nice, and that doesn't cost us much. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the gospel that we're going to look at in these verses today. So uh, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, a church that he dearly loves. He spent a long time, over two years, in Ephesus. And the Bible tells us that every day he sat and taught groups of people for over two years. He fell in love with these people. In Acts chapter 20, I believe, you see when uh, Paul departs from Ephesus for the last time, when he's saying goodbye to them, and it's this powerful, powerful scene of him knowing that he's going to leave them and probably never see them again. And they love Paul deeply, and he loves them deeply. And it's some years after that parting that he writes this letter. Probably five to six years later, he's writing this letter to this church that he dearly loves. And he writes these words in chapter 15. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. For you, remembering you in my prayers. He has heard about, he's heard a good report. They're still serving Jesus in Ephesus. They're still loving God. They're growing in the word of God in Ephesus. They haven't, because I left and because Timothy left and because some of the people that work with me left, they haven't forgotten the faith, but they're growing in Christ. He's excited about that. He's praying for them. He dearly loves these people in Ephesus, the church that's been planted there. But he says now in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the NIV, that last phrase is translated this way, a spirit of wisdom and and revelation that you might know Him better. That you might know Him better. My title today is to know Him better, moving towards a Christ-centered life. To know Him better that you might moving towards a Christ-centered life. Uh, The reason that the NIV translates it that way, the word that's used for uh, in the ESV in the knowledge of Him, is a Greek word epignosko. Now, a a normal word that you'd usually see for I want you to know him would be the word gnosko. That means to know someone well, to know them intimately. But Paul here uses a different word. He puts a little prefix on the word epigonosko, which doesn't mean just to know well or to know intimately, but to grow in a fullness of knowledge. So he says... I want you to know Him very well. I want you to have a full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know Him well. And he says this because he knows that the climate in Ephesus is still a difficult climate for people to really grasp and hold on to and stick with the gospel So he knows that it's easy for people to fall back into old ways, just like it is for us. It's easy to fall back into the traps of religion without knowing it. You know, we we can easily spot sometimes false preachers, false doctrine, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. You know, uh, talk about God wants you always healthy. God wants you always wealthy. God's got this for you. If you just sow enough seed to me, God's going to give this to you. But sow your seed, sow your seed, sow your seed. We can spot that from a million miles away and say that's a false preacher. He's not preaching the gospel. But what we miss many times that's right under our noses is the fact that we want a cheap gospel that doesn't cost us much, and that we can walk through uh, uh, the the steps of this thing without dying to self at all, expecting God is going to do these wonderful things for us. You know, uh, sometimes we think, if I perform these certain rituals from my religious group, see, here at Epiphany, man, if you're in a deep Bible study, you did something, especially if you said something deep, right? I, we go, I go to a deep Bible study. Oh, yes? Well, my life group uh, is, is extremely deep, and uh, we're, we're talking about this. So we, we think we're doing something if we're deep. You know, in some churches, and, and, and here I hope as well, deep Bible study is good. Um, uh, being involved in social causes to help others. We ought to do that, right? But in some places, if I do that, That's the thing. If I observe certain days, if I say prayers a certain way, if I read the Bible a certain amount, then then I can continue to live the rest of my life as I please. I've completed my service. I've checked off my list. And my heart is unchanged. Hasn't changed. And so Paul's prayer is that you might know Him better. And He outlines for us three particular ways in which we can know Him better, starting in verse 18. Look at that verse with me. He says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which He has called you. The first Thing that he wants you to know about is the hope to which Christ has called you now I, I wonder if I'm the only one here but has anyone else ever felt hopeless in their life has anyone felt hopeless now, now I want you to really tell on yourselves because a lot of times here's what we do as Christians we say yeah before I came to Christ I was a hopeless mess. I was a wretch undone. I was just at the lowest of the low. But Christ came into my life. And when he came into my life, he quickened me. And he strengthened me. And he filled me with the Holy Ghost. And now I am walking in victory and power every day of my life. And I've never turned back. And I believe the hope of Christ is always and ever before me. And we lie, lie, lie. Because since I've been converted, and since I've given my life to Jesus, and since I've loved him and served him, I have had some of the worst struggles that I've ever had. And so Paul speaks and says to Christians who may be going through that kind of struggle, I want you to know the hope of his calling. Hold on to this hope. The hope of his calling. He's speaking into an environment in Ephesus that believes that fate and the stars are what control your life. There's a first century writer, a stoic philosopher named Manilius, and he wrote these words. He said the Egyptian priests were the first ones to see through their art how fate depends on the wandering stars. Over the course of these many centuries, they assign with persistent care to each period of time the events connected with it. The day on which someone is born, the kind of life he shall lead, the influence of every hour on the laws of destiny. The enormous difference made by small motions He says, from long observation it was discovered that the stars control the whole world by mysterious laws and that the world itself moves by an eternal principle that we can, by reliable signs, recognize the ups and downs of fate. But you see, we don't believe in that, right? We're living in a scientific modern age. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in fate or that the stars control something. But get into a hopeless place in your life. See what you believe then. There was a statue that's been found in Ephesus of the goddess Artemis. And this statue, Artemis of the Ephesians, has around its neck a, a necklace with all the signs of the zodiac on that necklace. So in other words, if we believe and we pray to this goddess, perhaps the stars and fate will line up in some kind of different way for us. Of course, we don't believe that kind of stuff today. But one while back, I was watching The Wonderful World of Disney. Y'all don't remember The Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights. Back in the day, 7 o'clock, you got that, sister. And the little cricket would sing, When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. And there's a verse from that song that says these words, Like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. And we would say, oh, that's just a silly little Disney song. But, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of times that we can feel like, man, the stars are just lined up against me now. You know, I heard someone say a long time ago, and and this is not in the Bible, that bad things happen in threes. I've experienced that sometimes. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily biblical revelation or truth. But sometimes one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing, life can get difficult and hard. And in all of that, we're like, what can I hope in? Where can I hope? But Paul in the middle of this culture, speaks and says, I want you to know the hope of his calling. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, right where we're already at. He says these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What is Paul saying? Your hope is not built on where the stars are lining up. Your hope is built on an eternal God who has loved you from before the foundation of the world. He has called you by your name. He knows you. He loves you. Nothing happens to you by fate. Nothing happens to you by chance. It happens by the powerful working of the God of the universe who loves you specifically specifically. So he speaks into this world where people believe in fate and the lining up of the stars. The Christian hope is not a naked wish. It's a clear call to believe what God has established in time and in eternity through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what our hope is based on. And he says in this verse, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. If someone was to ask you at 3 o'clock in the morning, call you and wake you up, what hope has Christ called you to? Could you answer that question? You need to be able to answer that question. God wants you to know the hope to which he has called you. Look what he says here in verse 4, chapter 1 again. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What has he called you for? He says, he chose us so that we would be holy and blameless before him. He, he, he chose you to transform you. He chose you to make you new. He chose you to work in such a way that when you walk and when you talk and when you live and when you interact, that people see Jesus Christ at work in your life. There's been a change. There's a difference. In Romans 8 and verse 29, he puts it this way, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed The word metamorphosis comes from that word. To be conformed to the image of His Son. What is the hope to which He's called you? That hope is that you will be like Jesus. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, we are now the children of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. For when, we see, for when he appears, we will, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. He says, you're going to be like Jesus. That's the hope to which he has called you. What little hope are you clinging to that leaves you in a desolate place? You're hoping for a better job. That's good hope for that. You're hoping for good grades. Hopefully you're also studying. But that's a good thing. You're hoping for a nicer car, a nicer house. You're hoping uh, for your health to turn around. Those are good things to hope for. But none of those things are eternal things. The hope to which he has called you is total transformation. Total change of life. He says, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. Christ has called us to a great hope. And secondly, in verse 18, not only the hope to which He has called you, but He says, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? He says, I want you to know not only the hope to which He's called you, but I want you to know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to know about this glory inher- glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I was raised uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Some, many of you were raised there as well. Some of you were. Some of you still may be uh, practicing. Uh, but one of the things that I, I found was I had to realign my understanding of this word saints. Because sometimes in in Catholicism we think of saints as certain great people from the past. Mary is a saint. Saint Francis of Assisi is a saint. Saint Ambrose is a saint. Saint Augustine is a saint. But the way that the Bible commonly uses the word saint isn't to talk about some great person who did some great thing uh, in, in writing a letter or in writing books or in serving Christ in a particular way. The way that the Bible uses the word saint is as the common term for those who have been called out by God to love Him and serve Him. So he says at the beginning of this epistle of the Ephesians to the saints who are at Ephesus... He says that in most of the epistles that he writes, that Paul writes. So to the saints that are at Philippi, to the saints that are in Galatia. So even in Corinthians, he says to the saints that are at Corinth. And if you know anything about that particular church, you know that that church had a lot of messy stuff going on. So there were saints, but there was a lot of issues with sexual immorality going on in that church. It's a good thing that never happens in any churches today. But uh, people are struggling with sexual immorality. It was going on at Corinth. Uh, People were suing one another. They were going before Judge Mathis and Judge Judy on television. (laughs) And they were suing one another over trivial things. But there were lawsuits going on among the people of God. Good thing that never happens among God's people anymore. And then there were factions in the church at Corinth. Some said, well, I like the way Paul preaches. Some said, Paul ain't nothing. Apollos is the bomb diggity times two. So that would never happen at Epiphany Fellowship. Somebody says, "Man, I like the way Pastor Tommy preaches. He's just this cool white guy." Pastor Larry wearing old tired ties and everything. He's not cool like, like Pastor Tommy, you know. So, so they had all these factions going on. One said, "I'm a Paul." Another said, "I'm of Apollo." So another said, "Well, I'm a Peter. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. I, I, I tr- my trump card. I'm a Peter." But then someone else came behind him and said, "Well, I'm of Jesus." And it was just factions and mess in the church. So if I had written the book of 1 Corinthians, and I wrote it in English, I would say, to the saints at Corinth, but I would have left the S off of the word. So it would have said, to the aints who are at Corinth. Because y'all are a mess. But he didn't say to the ain'ts, he said to the saints. They are the called out ones. The church means the called out ones. Those who belong to God, not based on living a perfect life, not based on not struggling with sin anymore. If you're not struggling with sin, you're not a Christian, right? So you struggle with sin every day, but you struggle against it. Not just in your own power, but calling on the power of the holy God. But saints are those who... Who have been united with Christ by faith. I believe in him. Not who have lived a perfect life. So when Paul says here that I want you to know the immeasurable greatness. or I'm sorry. I want you to know his glorious inheritance among the saints. That is you and that is me if you believed in Christ. It's not some higher class. Some other class. But it is... Common people who are made uncommon by one thing, they're united with Jesus Christ. That's what makes us different and uncommon. So he says, I want you to know of his glorious inheritance among the saints. Look at verses 13 and 14, right before what we just read in this first chapter of Ephesians. He says these words, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You have an inheritance in God. You have an inheritance that comes from God. Sometimes I think of my children and I'm sad because one day I'm going to be off the scene and they're going to get the inheritance that comes from Pastor Larry or from Dad. And they're going to say, oh my goodness, didn't that church pay him? No, the church, that's wrong, that was foul, I rebuke you, enemy. No, the the. I work full-time here, and the church takes care of me well, but, but, but we don't have it like that, right? Amen. I, I'm not driving a Benzo just because my name is Lorenzo, so <laughs> we don't have it like that. We don't have it like that. That was a Martin reference. I'm very sorry about that. The inheritance from me would probably not be called a glorious inheritance. But he says there's a glorious inheritance that you have. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about it this way. He says that we are children of God. He said if we are children, then we are heirs. We're heirs of God. That's good. That's a better dad with a little bit more resource than this dad or than your earthly father he says children of God heirs of God joint and then he says and joint heirs with Jesus Christ dude that's a good deal he says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ Jesus if I'm not mistaken is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory Jesus if I'm not mistaken Everything in heaven and earth belongs to Him, and everything and everyone will worship Him. He is the owner of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the redeemer of all things. In Him, Colossians 1 says, all things hold together. And the Bible says, I'm hooked up with Him as an heir. What He gets, I get. (laughs) This is good news. So, so so for us as believers, it should inform how we live and how we hope, because you see, if if our greatest hope is that I get a better car one day, I get a bigger house. Whoop-dee-doo, you got a bigger house. Good for you. Nothing wrong with wanting some nicer things, nothing wrong with that at all, but when we make these Petty hopes, ultimate things—we we were messed up in God. As some of you know I've been driving around a bit of a jalopy for some time. It was a van, and it has served my family very well. Uh, some time ago, the transmission went out on it, and it was time to make a decision: is it worth it to continue to go with this van? And and Pastor E would just look at me and say, Pastor Larry, just get a car. Get something. This ain't working. I said, I just believe. You you know, sometimes and and I would have to pour oil, you know, in in my car because it was leaking oil a little bit, but but I, I would pour anointing oil on my car and say, Lord, let it run. Let it run. Let it run. And I made a call a couple months ago to AAA because I was stuck again because I didn't have enough anointing oil with me and it wouldn't run. And this was a moment of truth in my life when I knew, okay, maybe Pastor E is right. Maybe it is time to get a new car. The very nice person from AAA said to me, "Uh, Mr. Smith, I see here that you're over the allotment of the number of emergency calls for the year. And we can no longer come out unless you pay. And the Holy Spirit dropped a word in my heart. Get a new car. So by God's grace, after riding buses and, and SEPTA, and if, if you don't ride SEPTA from time to time, you don't know Philadelphia. Get yourself on the Broad Street sub. Get yourself on the J-Bus and, and some of the different buses around town. you got to know Philly if you've you got to be on the bus. But, but so recently, after riding the bus and being on the subway for a while, we just got a new car. Actually, a new-to-me car, but a new car. And it's nice. It's a nice car. I like, I like the car. Uh, you know, you get in it, and it has that kind of almost new car smell. Not quite the new car smell but the kind of almost new car smell. And, and so we have a rule in our new car is that there's no eating in the new car. Can't eat in the new car. My goodness, you might get a crumb on the seat. Um, that rule usually lasts 37 days on average. And then I'm hungry and I'm just... But, you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying driving that new car, but... A year from now, it won't be so new, and a few years from now, I may be uh, using anointing oil on that one as well. Um, The reality is my hope was in, wow, I can get a really nice car. Wow, that fades away. Every hope that we have in this world, the inheritance that we get, the things that we get, they all fade away. They don't last forever. But the inheritance that we have in Jesus never fades away. It never fades away. He says, I want you to know his glorious inheritance in the saints. And lastly, he says, I want you to know in verse 19. Verse 19. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He says, Ephesians, you need to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of your God. I want you to know... That his power is so great that you can't measure it. You know, we always try to measure how powerful something is. I was on the boardwalk a couple of years ago, or last year, in I think it was in Wildwood. And they have one of those little things where you take the sledgehammer and hit the thing and try to knock it up to hit the, the bell. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, and every young man that walks by that says, I'm, I can do that. I can do it." And so you see some... Some young man that just wants to say, yeah, I'm, I'm tough, I'm big, and boom, and the little thing goes up about this high. And they walk away and they say, oh, man, I hurt my elbow. No, that's actually my shoulder, my elbow, I hurt my elbow. Um, so, you know, there's an excuse, there's all that. We want to measure power. I saw somewhere that uh, scientists have measured the luminosity of the sun, and, and the luminosity of the sun, you know, I put in a new 60-watt light bulb or a 75-watt light bulb, but the luminosity of the sun is 3.839 times 10 to the 26th power watts. That's, that's pretty powerful. Plug that into your living room and see what happens. We measure stuff. We, we need to measure everything, but God says... I'm talking to you about a power that scientists you can use all the zeros ten to the whatever power you want you can't measure this power this is immeasurable power it is beyond your ability to conceive of or to think of this is the kind of power he says this is the kind of power that that God just spoke and there were worlds flung into existence. This is the kind of power that made, that made stars and planets and galaxies that scooped out uh, with his little finger uh, a little piece of land and called it the Pacific Ocean, right? This is a power that's beyond what we could ever imagine or think. This is the immeasurable power of God. But he says not just immeasurable power, but look at what it says. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is specific. It's not just how great and powerful God is, but I want you to know about His power toward you, believer. I want, him to, I want you to know how powerful He is toward you. And in chapter 2, he kind of picks this up. Starting at verse 1, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says you were dead. You didn't have a little spiritual pulse where they had to get those clamps and you know, put that on you and, and revive you. He said you, there was no life at all in you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked. Every one of you here, even if you're a Christian now, at one time you were dead. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same is true yeah. of those at Ephesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But look what happens in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, but God. That's right. That's right. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He says, this immeasurably great power is so great that when you had no hope, you were without God in this world, you were completely dead, no spiritual pulse whatsoever. Christ came along and made you alive with Him. This is the immeasurably great power uh, that God has towards those who believe, toward those who stake their life on the fact that Jesus died for my sins. I put everything in, everything on that one fact towards us who believe in Jesus. Not Jesus plus something else. Not, I've got a security blanket over here. Not like my friend used to say uh, years ago, he said, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Buddha, I believe in Allah, I want to cover all my bases. But no, towards those who believe in Jesus and put it all, let it all ride on Jesus. He says, His immeasurably great power is towards those who let it all ride on Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul writes this into this context at Ephesus where they believed in, in a number of different gods. And particularly in Ephesus, there were six names. They called them the Ephesian names or the Ephesian letters because people would, strike, would put on themselves uh, the, the first letter of these six names. They were uh, supposedly powerful gods. And so they would put these letters on them. Even athletes would do that so that they would have protection uh, as they went into their events. So they would use these six names of of Ephesus. They were powerful beings that they could call upon to protect them and watch over them. Look look what Paul says here, uh, starting in verse 20. That, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He says Christ is the name that is above every other name. What name are you trusting in? What thing are you trusting in? He says to the Ephesians, you're trusting in these names. you got a little tattoo with these names on you. You're trusting in that? He says, I know a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's only the name of Jesus. This is the great name. He says in this context. You know, when we were in Malawi, um, we were given we, uh, 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 an invitation to meet uh, at a, a gathering of a group called Niao. It's a cultic, um, specifically non-Christian uh, group, It's a, it's a religion um, of some, they call it the traditional uh, powers, the traditional religions in Malawi. And we were invited to go there by the chiefs as we first began to meet with them. And at first I thought, I think they're inviting us to kind of test us. What are these guys made up? Because we heard a lot of stories about Nyau and magical arts and powers and all these things crazy things that were going on through the powers of Niao. And so uh, I wisely said, okay, thanks, Uh, we'll get back to you on that. Uh, We're not sure if we want to go there or not. But we got together and we talked about it, I was praying about it, and I said, you know what, what purpose would it serve for us to actually go there? If we just go there to, you know, as kind of like tourists to see how they do all these things... Um, that really doesn't seem like it's the right thing for us to do. But I said, there's only one condition on which we would go. And I know they're going to say no, so I'll say it anyway. And that is, if we had a chance to preach the gospel, then we'll go. And so, it is it, uh, Brother Reggie, praise God. (laughs) So, so, um, we uh, we made that offer, and I knew, you know, they're going to say, no, I can't do that. But the chief got back to us and said, I think I can arrange something. And so they arranged something where we would go to the main gathering and then they would take a few of the leaders aside and we had a chance to be able to sit down with the leaders and talk to them, hear from them first and then talk to them about Jesus Christ. And we'll talk a lot more about this in a couple weeks if you come on that Wednesday night. We'll talk about You'll see some pictures and you'll get more of a feel for it. But what happened uh, on that occasion is that so? We, we went to the main gathering, we saw a bunch of crazy, crazy stuff, and then we went a, away from the gathering and met with a few leaders. And while we were sitting there, um, when it was our turn to begin to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus, I began to talk about Jesus, and, and then this big commotion happened. People were screaming, people were yelling, people were running all over the place, and we're sitting maybe 100 yards or so from where this gathering of hundreds of people is happening, and and pandemonium breaks loose. I'm talking to them, the leaders, about the gospel. My wife begins to pinch my arm in such a way that there is no longer any circulation going through my body, and she says, bring it home, baby, bring it home. You know, She's like, hurry up, something's going on, I don't know what it is. I said, baby, i got to finish. I'm I'm talking about Jesus. We'll be okay. And I'll talk to you on that Wednesday night about what happened that day. But we didn't know what happened. The next day, um, we heard that there was a report that went all over Malawi on the radio. um, And the report was about this gathering of Niao that happened in this village that we were at. He said there was a great gathering of Niao there, and uh, what happened was that the mask of one of the Niao dancers came off. That is total taboo. That can never happen, because what they believe is that as they dress in this garb, and they have these elaborate costumes and masks, that they are no longer a person, but they are inhabited by the spirits of their ancestors. And so they're no longer a person. And that that is the belief system. And so the the worst thing that could possibly happen is that a mask would fall off. And so when the mask fell off, the the other Nyao began to beat that man. They also began to to, to run after the other people because they did not want them to see who it was. And so it was that never happens. That's never supposed to happen. But the report that went out on the radio was this, that the Nyao gathered and... Uh, They were unable to do their magic because there were men and women of God there. There were men and women of God there. And to be honest, even, even when we heard that and we heard it from other people, but a couple of weeks ago we had a few people from um, Malawi over at our house and we told them that and they just gasped and they said, oh no, that can never happen. That can't happen there. And just, they, they talked to us about the fear that the people would have when that happened and that they would all attribute it to the fact that there were men and women of God who were there. I want to, in closing... Uh, I want to invite you. This is the time to come close to Christ. One day, either you're going to die or Christ is going to come back. One of those things is going to happen and you'll be real close then if you're a believer. But don't wait for that time. This is the time. The Bible says that Abraham journeyed with God, not knowing where he was going by faith. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and then one day he was not, for God took him. The Bible tells us that that Jacob wrestled all night with God. The Bible says that Paul, his life was interrupted by God on the road to Damascus. Christ came to him in a vision. And for many of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and even John in the New Testament in his vision in Revelation, God gave them uh, 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 dreams and visions to see him. But it is the same God of Abraham, the same God of Enoch, the same God of Moses, the same God of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel who is here right now. And he invites you to journey with him, to walk with him, to commune with him, to wrestle with him, to be with him, the same God. And Jesus even put it in these words in John chapter 10, verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is an invitation by God to know him in a deeper way. I titled this message, To Know Him Better, Moving Toward a Christ-Centered Life. Over the next three months, three to four months, in our life groups, we're building a whole curriculum out of that. To know Christ better, moving towards a Christ-centered life. That is the whole curriculum over the next four months in our life groups. So next week, we're going to have a time to sign up for life groups. If you want to center your life on Jesus, I, 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 I pray and I ask that you would come to a life group and begin to walk with us through that study. I have one question as... I get ready to close. And that question is this. Answer it honestly in your own heart. How much of your daily life is consciously informed by your awareness of your relationship with Jesus Christ? How much? Or do you have an autopilot button that you hit On Monday morning, while you're at work and dealing with what you deal with there, or when you're at school, or when you're studying, or in different parts of your life, you've segmented your life. But we we want to be a people who say that everything in my life revolves around one thing, and that is actually a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of it all. So we're going to walk through that over the next four months in our life groups, to say, how can we more honestly make Jesus the center of everything in our lives? I pray that you will join with us in that journey. And I pray that even today, as you've heard this word, you will begin to consider how is it that God is calling me to make Jesus the center of every single part of my life? He's worth it. His inheritance doesn't fade away. His transforming power will make you like jesus christ himself amen it's worth it his power is greater than any other power let's pray father we are grateful and thankful for you today and we ask that you would just be with us and help us oh god we hear this word we read your word we know that your holy spirit is at work And Lord, we can't say, well, I'm just a person. I'm just this. Because Lord, if we're believers in Christ, we would have to say, I'm just a person. But the Holy Spirit of God indwells me and desires to make of me that which would point powerfully to Jesus Christ. He desires to make me over as a new man, as a new woman, for the glory of God. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would strengthen each one under the sound of my voice, and that we may experience you in an intimate and powerful way to the praise and glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name.